Hello, this is Ruin Willow, and you are listening to the Oh Fuck Yeah with Ruin Willow podcast. I'm super excited you're here. I have an awesome interview for you today. Tom Marlowe is an author of erotic comedy, parody, and fun romance stories, books, and sensual sonnets. And I would like to just orient you to my podcast. On my podcast, I talk about all things related to sexuality. I read erotica, mine and others. I do interviews, obviously, duh, I'm doing one right now. And I talk about sex toys. I do sex toy reviews. I've done a few of those. (laughs) Can't go wrong with that. Anything and everything to do with sex. So this is the point in my podcast where I say, if you're under 18, it's time to leave the podcast now. This is not for you. But if you are 18 and over, oh, hell yeah, fuck yeah. Yes, it is for us. Let's go. Okay, I want to introduce you guys. I'm so excited to introduce you to Tom Marlowe. Thank you for being here, Tom. Thank you for inviting me, Bruin. I really appreciate it. Oh, listen to that voice. Mm. <laughs> That's so damn yummy. <laughs> well, tell us what you write about. Well, predominantly, uh, I'm sort of torn as to whether it's Erotic comedy or comedy erotica, um, it's definitely meant to be funny. I tried my hand at romance, and it's just not my kind of thing. So I just thought I'd step it up a little bit. And I have a comedic background, and I thought I'd sort of try and splice the two together. Obviously, it's for others to say if I've achieved that, but uh, I do have a lot of fun writing some of the stuff. That's perfect, because I feel like that's kind of a novel thing. Like, I don't see a lot of that. So that's really cool. I think it's great. Well, yeah, um, it's nice to try and sort of carve my own niche, my niche, niche. I'll say (laughs) that one again. Yeah, it's uh, it's um, it's great to try and carve my own niche. But in reality, uh, people are very sort of uh, they're, they're used to what they know. So I'm finding it a little harder than maybe some others to sort of get in there. But I've got a little following now and a few people have given me some good feedback. And surprisingly, uh, they seem to enjoy my terrible uh, parody shorts more than the somewhat more in-depth longer novels, ah. which, yeah, that's an eye-opener. Yeah, sometimes it can be when you don't expect that. Uh, I have totally forgot my um, icebreaker question. Let's go back, Petal. What is your favorite sexual position? And I'm not going to be mad if you tell me why. Okay. Um, I don't mind admitting it's been a while. I've actually been single now for two and a half years. So my my current sexual, um, favorite sexual position is definitely the right hand. (laughs) Um, But outside of that... uh, Okay, I, I'll be honest, I wasn't expecting that one quite so early, but my, <laughs> my favorite position would be, um, I'm just going to say you and I, okay? I don't mean to infer <laughs> anything by that, but we're on the edge of the bed. I'm sitting on the edge of the bed. You're on top facing me, um, so basically your back's to the wall and I'm sitting on the bed, and I've got my sort of arms under your knees, and there's a lot of depth in that and some real kind of looking 
directly at each other. You're really close. You can kiss. There's a lot of intimacy, a lot of depth, and um, a lot of squirtage, hopefully. Oh, that sounds delicious and perfect. It's a lot of fun, yeah. Hell yes. (laughs) (laughs) That sounds like a lovely position. It doesn't even need a name. The description is just perfect, right? (laughs) Okay, so we will dive right in. And what is one thing you wish you had known when you began this? We talked about that. You just talked about that a little bit ago about feeling people out. And sometimes we don't know until we try do you feel like now you're going to change direction at all well although it's a slight curse trying something new it also means that i can try something new Mm -hmm. so for example my first novel i actually started it several years ago and perhaps we'll talk about that a little later um but it's kind of a actiony spy romp if you if you like and that's had some marginal success but I thought, okay, I've, I've done one of those. Now let's just try something else, you know, sort of test the waters. So I've got this kind of parody short series, which uses terrible tropes and bad uh, sort of grammar and incorrect sort of biological facts and hopefully puts them together in an amusing way. Uh, I've also got like a, a semi-serious longer short, um, a sort of a BBW plus size short. And I've recently released a sort of semi-paranormal comedy. Uh, I'm looking now at a science fiction comedy, which uh, is on hiatus at the moment because I've got some real work to be getting on with. And so I'm, I'm in a position because I'm, I'm new to this. I've only been sort of doing this for a year and a half. I can sort of put my foot in various different ponds and see which water, which waters are working best for me. Oh, absolutely. And can find your work on Amazon, correct? Anywhere else or yeah, Amazon? Yeah. No, I'm sticking with Amazon for now. I see so many things about people going wide and preferring that and people sticking with Amazon and preferring that. And right now, with everything else I do in, in life, I'm just going to stick with one and s- sort of churn that out and see how that works and then look wide later, possibly, if I feel it's needed. Right, exactly. Well, that makes a lot of sense. Well, you know, I did want you to do a little bit of reading. Would you like to read something of your work for us? Okay, so this is a sonnet that I wrote uh, called Tease. I sat and watched the man for several days. His lunchtime routine never changed a bit. A soda from the shop, a pack of lays, then to the park to eat, relax and sit. But not today. The time had come for me to grant another vista for his eyes. I chose the bench that stood across from he. I sat and pulled my skirt up to my thighs. I opened up my legs and gave him means to see the smoothness of my mound, my lips. I smiled, observed the bulge beneath his jeans. I rubbed my button. He forgot his chips. He sat erect, not knowing what to say. And when I'd come, I stood and walked away. Mm, that's very sensual. I love it. It's, yeah, it's a bit naughty. I mean, I <laughs> called that a little anthology sensual sonnets, but they are kind of more, yeah, just a little bit more sort of, like I said, a little bit more naughty in the way they're doing. There's not so many kind of, shall I compare thee to a summer's day, thou art more, you know, there's not too much of that. 
Right. Sort of modern day sonnets, a little bit more raunchy. Oh, yeah. It's a little bit of fantasy thrown in there. Yeah, I think so. Never a bad thing. (laughs) (laughs) Would you like to do one more? All right. So this is the beginning of Demon in the Dark, which is a sort of paranormal comedy about a bored demon looking for a new hobby. Gregax yawned and tossed another damned soul into the nearby pond. The viscous black surface erupted as the creatures within fought over the essence of the unfortunate human, whose only failure had been to turn a blind eye to her boss's fraudulent activities. Little had she known that not getting involved would be more than enough to send her to an afterlife she hadn't even believed in. The bored demon watched the activity with a heavy heart, not even seeing a soul being shredded by a multitude of tiroirs that populated Greygax's persecution pool interested him today. He yawned again. I really need a change of scenery, he mused, or perhaps a hobby. He stood and tipped the bucket of remaining souls into the pond. He knew he was overfeeding his demonic pets, but frankly, he didn't care. Not only would they be fine after a few days basking on the lava plains of purgatory, but also as a demon, well, caring wasn't exactly part of his job description. Goodbye, losers, he snarled as the translucent forms tumbled into the fetid water. One stubborn soul, having seen his fate, clung onto the rim of the bucket with abject fear on his face. Greygax leaned forward until his wiry goatee was inches from the tormented and disconnected embodiment of some poor being. You too, the demon snarled. But I'm a good person. Why am I even here? What did I do? Came a high-pitched desperate plea. You're an accountant from Lubbock. And? And what? That's more than enough reason. He flicked the soul with his index talon and sent it flying through the air. The accountant screamed as he spiraled and skimmed over the surface of the pond until his voice cut off as one of the more vigilant reptiles snapped him up. Hmm, five bounces, he nodded in approval. The demon chuckled. He liked it when a soul showed some resistance. The futility of it all amused him no end. It wasn't like they could even win or change their fate. Very nice. Okay. Not very sexy. (laughs) (laughs) But I think it's great to put out there some things that you write, you know, just to have it out there for people to hear and listen and imagine. Uh, That has a lot of imagination embedded in it. I really enjoyed reading that piece, too. Thank you. I, I just, I enjoy with the longer pieces, you can't do it with the shorts. It's basically they meet, they do it, goodbye, you know, 5,000, yeah. 8,000 words. Um, but when you, when you have the time, when you're doing, I mean, this is like 42,000, something like that. Um, my bigger one is like 47, 48. But when you're writing something like this, you can afford to take your time. And although it is, uh, I want to say erotic, but it's more smut because it's not, um, he slid inside her, his manhood, you know, engorged. It's not like this. It really is. They fuck. She sucks his cock, you know, blah, blah, blah. It's, it's base words. It's very graphic. And so in that respect, it is smut more than, you know, sensual erotica. Although I do prefer to call it adult friction. Yeah. Uh, this is my own take on the term. Um, just for fun. But although it is like that, that still doesn't mean you can't just like sex itself. Sex shouldn't be 
three minutes pounding, bam, 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 five minutes pounding, bam, bam. It, right. You need the light and shade. You need the light air kisses down the spine as much as you need fingernails scratching and the heart up against the wall, followed by just staring for 30 seconds, you know, and then yeah. even laughing and joking, you know, because there was a funny noise. And sex is a whole bunch of emotions in a certain period. And I try to write like that, slow it down, be a little descriptive, a lot of comedy, hopefully. Um, and then we can kind, kind of come into this sexual act followed by a little bit more descriptive work. You know, yeah. I hate, I hate those books that are 30, 40,000. And it's just a chapter of people fucking a chapter of people fucking a chapter of people fucking. Then they all yeah. meet in the last chapter and they all fuck each other at the end. Right. It's, it's, I, I don't want to say that it's tiring. It's just, it's too samey. It's like yeah. a roller coaster that only goes up. <laughs> right. right. Yeah. You want a little bit more meat to it. I mean, you it's need. almost like, <laughs> it's almost like written porn when it's like that. It's what I'm trying to achieve. Maybe I'm making the mistake. Maybe I'm way, way, way off base, but that's what I'm trying to do. I'm trying to do and written. Can I add to that? I think it's a very good thing you said, but it's like written seventies porn. Yeah, I mean, modern yeah. porn now, she's already on her knees as soon as the video starts, you know? Right. Um, older porn, you know, with the Aunt Pegs and the Seca and these people, at least they took their time and there was mm. some semblance of a story as cheesy as it was. Um, and a movie was a movie. Okay, you fast forward the video to the good stuff, but when you have time, yeah. you would watch the whole movie and you you actually appreciated the characters i know this sounds terrible and ridiculous but you did appreciate the characters more by listening to the scenes in between the sex yeah, yeah. for sure i mean nowadays it's just hard and fast yeah and although we've now got 4k video and it's not grainy wobbly vhs um it's less enjoyable modern porn is l much less enjoyable than than the older stuff you know maybe not going right back to the 60s and 70s where there was probably some questionable age qualifications and things like that yeah true but um i mean was it tracy lords who was 16 when she started Ooh. yeah um but but today you know we watch it because they're pretty much the only options we have but it is literally just Bang, 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 bang. New position, bang, bang, bang. New position, come on her face, the end. Yeah. It's more like scenes than a story. Absolutely. Absolutely. Even if they try and make it art by having her pose to some music for 30 seconds, dun, 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 and she's posing and she's pulling this up and she's doing this, and then the guy comes in and it's bang, bang, bang for five minutes. Um, that's their attempt at art now. Yeah. Um, you can still find the occasional movie and and they're totally worth it. You know, like sex itself, there is a time for a quickie, you know, a three-minute fumble. There is a time for falling in through the front door and just having each other in the hallway. There is a time for spending 15, 20 minutes just touching and stroking and kissing and smiling and smelling, you know, yes. and no penetration no of any sort and 
even nothing below the waist for that period. Just being close to somebody and absorbing them as much as you can. Um, and you need all of that. You yes. know, sex is not just the physical act of penetration and ejaculation. That is not what sex is. That's just the mechanics. And porn nowadays and some of the literature I read nowadays, it's just mechanics. Yeah. Which is sad, really. It is. Yeah. And I had that same thought as you were describing all those lovely scenarios that, <laughs> <laughs> that you need all of those. If you're going to have a good sexual relationship with someone, you need all of those. You do. You do. And sometimes you need them all in one go. And sometimes you only need one. And sometimes it's all about her. And sometimes it's selfish, all about mm -hmm. me. Right. And, and you need that mixture and you don't decide well it's tuesday so it's blowjob day and mm. it's friday so woohoo anal you know that's not yeah. how it works it's just how you both feel and what you both want in that moment and sometimes yeah you just want to suck and fuck absolutely mm. yeah. but like i said other times you just want a spoon and just a little kind of squeeze of the boobs and just just kind of real i'm a bit loved up as a person you know what i mean yeah. i'm I'm not somebody who can easily have one night stands. I need some kind of connection and at least half an eyeball on there being a tomorrow. I right. can't sort of screw strangers. Um, I, I, I get nothing out of it. Right. Absolutely nothing at all. Uh, I, I need some kind of emotional connection. It doesn't mean, oh, we're getting married tomorrow, but it, it kind of does have, we have something in common. We enjoy each other. We're calm in each other's company. Let's do it, you know. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I need it's something interaction. More. I need, yeah, because sex is great if my memory, you know, is still <laughs> correct. Sex is great. But what's more important than sex, or at least as important, is when she's sitting watching the television and you walk past and just ruffle her hair on the way to getting you both a couple of beers. Or you're in a crowded room and somebody says a sentence and you look across the table at each other and you both smile because you remember that thing from six months ago. Yeah. That's real sex, real emotion, real intimacy. Yes. Intimacy, just, that's the word. I yes. stick it in you, you know. That's not mm -hmm. intimacy. Right. Um, and I need both to have a really good experience. Absolutely. <clears throat> I think that's so true. Do you feel like you have a muse when you write or do you just kind of create the character in your mind or do you actually base it off of a real live person? I might be the official mayor of Panstaville. Ah, yes. Yeah. I, I have literally written a book because I came up cool idea for a title. I had no idea what the book was going to be about, but Hey, the title's nice. Mm -hmm. So, um, I opened up my Google Docs, I wrote down the title, and I sat there, and stuff did or did not come out, you know? Mm -hmm. uh, I am, literally had no idea what characters, what it was going to be about, even the genre. I just liked the idea of this title, and I started working, working on it. So, yes, I am the ultimate panster in that respect. I do some other work. I, I write screenplays, and you do have to plot a, a little more there. Uh, but even then, I can be writing an episode of a TV show and not actually knowing, you know, what's going to happen several mm -hmm. scenes down the line, uh, which 
it's interesting because I'm I'm reading it as I'm writing it. I'm learning as I go, and I, and I actually love that about it. I also think, and this is very unpopular opinion, and it's going to get a lot of personal Tom Marlowe thumbs down, <laughs> is I think a lot of people, not everybody by any stretch of the imagination, a lot of people use world building as an excuse not to write. Yeah. That they decide that they need 73 religions in their world. That what what currency are they using on this obscure island of Zanzaglob, um, which we not we're not actually going to visit until book 19, which I probably will never write. But I better organise the currency now. So they go right. into so much detail. I think some people as an excuse to actually get away from the actual job of writing the book. Uh, procrastination, you know. I think if people do that, you, don't they kind of get lost? I mean, then they go back to visit that and people are like, what? We'll be back after a quick break. This episode is brought to you by the Spring Cleaning Champions, Manscaped. This season, make sure the man in your life grooms his carpets and his drapes with the leaders in below-the-waist grooming. Have him clear out that winter bush with Manscaped's Lawnmower 5.0 and watch his confidence bloom like the springtime flowers. Embrace the season and have him join the 10 million men worldwide who trust Manscaped with our special offer. Go to manscaped.com and use code RUIN. You have to use my new code RUIN, R-U-A-N, for the 20% off and free shipping. Have you ever been doing some oral pleasure and got some hairs in your mouth or your teeth? Well, <laughs> Manscaped can help with that. Try being clean shaven or spring cleaning. After he uses Manscaped, you can say, hmm, let's get some busy with some spring fever in the bedroom. Try out Lawn Mower 5.0 Ultra. It is an amazing trimmer that features two interchangeable heads, one for taking a little off the top and the new foil blade to go smooth. If you want to go smooth for spring cleaning, make sure you try out Manscaped products. Bring on those smooth skin sexy slaps in the bedroom. And how do you do that? Use Manscaped products to shave clean down in your pubic area. Get 20% off and free shipping with the code RUIN. You have to use my new code RUIN, R-U-A-N, all caps at manscaped.com. That's 20% off and free shipping with code RUIN at manscaped.com. Nothing like a little spring cleaning in his pants, right? In your pants if you're a man. <laughs> spring clean your groin area. Try smooth. Try it with Manscaped. I, I think probably there should be a, a more of a middle ground. I mean, what you don't want is someone hating eclairs in chapter one, and then chapter seven of book three, eclairs are their favorite because you totally forgot about them. Um, so there needs to be some level. But what I do is, as I'm writing, if something happens that I think is, is relevant, I, I make a little note of it. Uh, in a separate like little database, so I can I can always go back and check. Oh, so this character doesn't like eclairs. I'll just give them an, a different cake, you know. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I think you have to keep notes, and I do that too. Sure. I keep like a little notebook or something because you know even you, the writer themselves can maybe forget something or get it a little bit wrong, and then 
it's noticeable or people forget about it. It could be either or, you know? Totally, totally, totally. And I actually take advantage of that in the parody series. So, mm -hmm. for example, um, she will push back her blonde hair, but literally two paragraphs later, her short red bob is <laughs> blah, blah, blah. Yeah. Because you see this so often that people forget that the guy was 54 and now he's 52 and now he's 48. Uh, and I quite like that because it is just so terrible. It is. And it's it's funny. I mean, it's, mm. it's you know, people aren't paying attention. It shows that they also do not edit. I mean, you know, if you, <laughs> you go back and read your stuff and all of a sudden you're saying your dude is 42 and you said he was 58. <laughs> <laughs> I will now defend those people because I think we can all be guilty of missing some things in our edits, no matter how many times our eyes go over it, or even sometimes if we get a professional editor, they can miss that stuff too. I will defend the occasional blunder, but if, I don't know, Peter McLean suddenly becomes Peter Jenkins, uh, that, that's a serious no-no. If the spelling of McLean changes, you can kind of shrug and accept that, that, that there was one omission there that everybody missed, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> but it happens in traditional publishing anyway. Um, so it's going to happen more with people like myself in indie publishers uh, that I've had one or two of my books edited professionally but I, I tend to do it myself or with beta readers or what have you but if we really want to get humorous there was a version a very old version of the bible where thou shalt commit adultery mm. so if they can have that kind of massive <laughs> typo um i think we're allowed one or two as well uh, wow absolutely true story true yeah. true story i've never heard that that's crazy yeah. <laughs> very interesting yeah for sure so tell me what do you feel has been your biggest success with this particular genre uh yeah surprisingly it is that parody series i mean they're 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 toilet paper in as much as you read them you throw them away they're five thousand words it's a 10 minute read and yet I've got more positive feedback on those and a couple of people that said, look, I dipped in, I tried one just for the hell of it. You know, they're cheap, blah, 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 whatever the reason. And they've gone on to buy two or three. I'd be surprised, and I'm being honest here, and I'm obviously doing myself out of sales, but I'm being honest. I'd be surprised if someone could sit down and read all five in one hit because they are um, mind-numbingly hard in as much as there are these biological inconsistencies, these inconsistencies, these this terrible prose, uh, it's all purposeful. But after a while, your brain start dribbling out your ears, you know, right. and they're just meant as a quick sort of co comedic punch, and then you move on. And yes, yeah, sure, come back to another one another time. But I, yeah, I think people struggle to read all five in a row because yeah. it's just a grind of inverted commas, bad writing, you know? <laughs> sure. But obviously people like it and that's, what's important. That's what you want to find and expand on. Of course, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I think, you know, I think, like I said, at this time I can try a few things. And once I start getting a name for what I do, obviously I've got to stay pretty much within the confines of that stuff. Uh, I, I don't think it works. If, if, for example, Stephen King suddenly brought out a historical romance, 
people would get to the end and say, but where was the killer horse? You know, they'd be looking for the murder, the, the, the psychic woman. They'd be looking for all those different things. And they'd be disappointed no matter how good it was. There would be huge disappointment because it's not a Stephen King novel. Obviously, Tom Marlowe is not likely to be at that level. But my genre will hopefully one day become this and be expected of me within, a, within a, an elastic bubble, shall we say. Yeah, I think that makes perfect sense. It's kind of like people like something and they go back to that author or performer for that particular thing. So they want to see it again. They liked it. They want to see it again. So then they're like, well, now I did something totally different, but I came to this person for X. That's right. Yeah. 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 I mean, you go, you go to um, certain supermarkets for the same things. You go to certain clothes stores because you know what you're getting. And I think authors pretty much fall into similar categories. Music genre as well. You know, you wouldn't really hear Iron Maiden doing some lovely kind of Whitney Houston type ballad. Uh, it would be a shock. You know, and very few um, musical acts get away with that kind of diversity. That's true. And I think this is one reason why so as, as authors, we're kind of lucky. There are so many authors that create pen names because they want to try something different. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. And so there, think of how many there are. I mean, you name it. Even the huge authors do the same thing. Mm-hmm. Like mm-hmm. J.K. Rowling. She doesn't, yeah. you know. Yeah. So it's interesting to me. But in a way, it's kind of lucky because we can do that as an actor. You can't change the way you look and go into a different genre. But as writers, as authors, we can. Yeah, yeah. I mean, as an actor, you can go into different genres. And it's it's not really expected of you to only play, I don't know, historical leads or whatever. You know, the, the script comes in, you accept it. So in, in that respect, you can because you, you do get the makeup, the costume, and you can literally, you put on your different genre in that respect. Whereas you and I have the advantage of the anonymity of today, I'm Tom Marlowe, tomorrow I'm Daphne Wiggins, and I'm writing historical romance or children's books or, or whatever I want. Um, as, as an actor, yes. I mean, I think there are certain genres that would stick to you. I mean, for example, Sly, Sylvester Stallone, mm. As big as he is, everybody still knows he did that porn movie. <laughs> yeah. As big as he is, that will still get dragged up until, you know, the day he dies. Right. Uh, so there are certain things that I think, shall we say, traditional actors should steer away from if they want to go on the professional path. Although, again, some have crossed that barrier from porn star to bona fide actor. So it can it can also happen. Hasn't often gone the other way. I, yeah. I can't see George Clooney, you know, <laughs> delivering pizza at any time. Right. Well, that makes a lot of sense. And you, when you put it that way, because I don't have any acting background, but that really makes a lot of sense because you are putting on your genre. I mean, you and you can change your appearance to that extent and be that character. That, that makes a lot of sense. Although... Good guys tend to play the good guys and bad guys tend to play the bad guys. And Character actors, what you guys call character actors, us British just call them actors. Um, but character actors tend to stay um, within those roles. It is unlikely 
that Harrison Ford plays some evil mass murderer. I'd love it when actors do do stuff like that. Mm-hmm. You know, like Arnie um, did 200 movies and he was Arnie in every single one of them, you know, <laughs> um, except the ones for the family, there were a few less fuck you assholes, you know, <laughs> other than that, it's Arnie. And you know what you're getting when you sit down in the theater and watch his show. Right. But could we see him playing Macbeth or Hamlet or Henry V or something? Absolutely not. (laughs) But it would be nice that he went to Broadway and and tried doing something like that, you know, but he doesn't need to, I guess. Right. I mean, I think it comes down to some surprises and changes work and some don't. And people don't always know. Absolutely. And so people try stuff. And unfortunately for Sly, that didn't work out. (laughs) 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 But it does work for some people. It really does. It's true. Yeah, and some people get really stuck in a role and a type of role, and then they're just kind of stuck there. I think, especially like TV actors. I mean, we have a TV series, uh, a soap opera called EastEnders, which has been going on now for uh, 30, 35 years, something like that. And um, one of the characters, Ian, the character is called Ian. He has been Ian since the first episode. He was a little child in that, and now he's an old, you know, an older man, and he has played that character. So for all this time, has he done other stuff? Who knows? Because you see him and all you see is this character, Ian, because he has become that. I mean, I I actually come from an acting background and um, in another world, as another person, I I am an actor. And I would love to have a a role that I'm playing the same character for three, four, five years. But would I want to only be known as that character? Probably not. Yeah. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. It really does. Okay. So, you know, we all learned that language has power. What Mm. was an early experience where you learned that language had power? Whoa. That is a deep question. (laughs) Ah, Language is power. Okay. Um, Yeah. I. Uh, I don't know where you want to go on this and feel free to interrupt and say, no, let's pause and start again. Okay. But uh, I had quite an abusive upbringing. Okay. And I mean, ridiculously abusive. And I remember this is tame. What I'm going to tell you is tame. So don't worry. Okay. I remember coming home from school. It was like my first few months at what we call infant school, like five to seven. Okay. And I came home. And our game is football, what you call soccer. Okay. So I came home and I said to my dad, I support Liverpool. And he said, no, you don't. Well, yeah, yeah. All my friends support Liverpool. I I support Liverpool. No, you don't. Supporting means you go, you pay, you pay for tickets, you pay for the merchandise. You are supporting them with your money. That's what supporting means. Oh, Oh, yeah. Well, daddies are always right, especially when you're five or six years old, you know. So, okay, so he's right. I don't support them. And all my friends, they're wrong. They think they're supporting and they don't. And from the age of five, five and a half, I've never been interested in soccer ever since. Hmm. That was the power of him saying, you have no idea what you're talking about, little boy. And you know nothing about football. You have no interest in it because you don't support them. And I went away honestly thinking 
yes, you can't support. Of course, I know now you can support people with your with your support, you yeah. know, with your words, with your encouragement. But I took that away because to me that was gospel because your parents don't lie. Your parents don't make mistakes. So there was real power in what he said to me that's affected me now um, 50 years later or 50, 49 years later. Um, I'm still not particularly into soccer, football. I think that's so true. I mean, that's yeah. actually quite huge. I mean, an authority figure says something to you that can change your entire outlook. And Absolutely. so everybody always talks about kids being so resilient. They bounce back. Um, sometimes you hear stories like that and you're like, well, they were impacted from a very young age by what we're told. And language does have power. Whoever it's coming from may have power. And so that's going to influence how we think and move forward, just as you said. Absolutely. I'm not proud of this. This is not me boasting here, but I'm not a physically aggressive person. Yeah, I don't fight guys. You know, I don't, I don't get drunk at all, but I don't get drunk and fight guys. I don't shoot guns off in the middle of the street. And if I'm having an argument, I can bring you metaphorically to your knees with my tongue. I don't need the physical because words can hurt so much more. I can, this is going in an area that is quite unpleasant, but I can hit somebody and that pain goes away after time. The bruise goes away after time. Yes, we could talk about PTSD and the psychological aspect of it, but there are words that people say to each other. And you and I, we've had these conversations. We see it on Twitter every single day. There are words written or spoken that, can break people for life and we forget the power of words we use them we just throw them out there not actually giving a shit about the damage that they could potentially do or any thought to the contents of those words and we throw them out there and we do untold damage to potentially untold damage to total strangers in a way that 20 years ago we couldn't have done because if i shouted out my balcony window blah 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 People just think I'm some crazy nutter. If I'm getting too offensive, they'll call the police. Now I can say what I want to who I want, how I want. And there are broken people there. I'm sure there are studies that will show there have been suicides because just of the spoken or written word. It is more powerful than a bomb, more powerful than a gun, more powerful than some fat drunk guy punching you in the face. You are absolutely correct. And you hit the head on every point there. <laughs> Absolutely. And it's quite, it's quite dramatic and it's quite scary and it is very powerful. And people don't often realize that. They're just think they're making a comment on a post or something. That person can end up being crushed or ruined just because they said something. For sure. Yeah. That's kind of hard. And sometimes we've been that person who has been hurt. Mm -hmm. And I'm sure sometimes we have been that person that has unintentionally hurt people. Because we just put a throwaway comment out there. We know what we are, you know, we understand what we meant. But that person, if they're in a negative mood, if they're depressed, and I don't mean how most people use depression, like, oh, I'm feeling shit today. That's yeah. not depression, that's feeling shit today. Mm -hmm. But someone with real depression, yeah, dragging that black dog around with them everywhere, um, that could just be the tipping point for them. And for you, it was an arbitrary comment that you've already forgotten about as you pressed enter. Yeah. And that could be the tipping point for them. 
we have a big responsibility and all of us, you and I included, either sometimes all the way up to all the time, don't consider that enough when we talk and write. I think that's true. And uh, we're in a whole different era with social media. I mean, across the board, across ages, never in all of history has this ever happened. And it's interesting. We're going to, I'm sure that people are going to study this and learn things for many years to come, but the impacts are happening now. You're absolutely correct. Yeah, they are. For good also, you know, we have to emphasize that, for good also. Yes. There was the the Arab Spring uprising that came from sort of Facebook uh, chatter, you know, amongst people. And there are some good, good things being done on social media and with that level of communication that we've never, as you correctly said, we've never had before. And so we also have to look at that. And But there is a balance. Is that amount of good worth that amount of bad? And right now, I think it is very finely balanced. Yeah. It's, it's almost at a tipping point, I feel. It is. It is. And I just think it's interesting, too, how people, you know, say the Internet, everybody's looking at their screens. Everybody is separated. Um, people are just doing things on their own. I actually disagree. I think the world is more interconnected than ever before with the internet. I mean, I can talk to somebody in Australia. I can talk to you in Europe and I'm in the US. With, I mean, within seconds, we can send each other messages. I remember growing up, you're totally correct. Yeah, I, I remember when I was growing up, I started playing Dungeons and Dragons. Yes, I was one of those. <laughs> um, but I, I'm not still a virgin, okay? <laughs> <laughs> I love that. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I was 12, 13, and it came across the pond to us. And by our calculations, we were one of the first kids in, possibly in Britain, certainly in our part of Britain, to be playing it. And I really got into it. And I remember people around saying, oh, it's worshipping devils and stuff like that, yeah. because they had no, no idea. But these were the same people saying that Life of Brian was a terrible movie for the same reasons. Mm. Um, but I was constantly being told by my mum, you've got to get out. You've got to get out in the street. You can, well, we weren't allowed to play in the street, but you've got to go out. You've got to get some fresh air, go to the park, um, because all you're going to do is sit at home. But I used to go to my friend's house with six or seven other kids, and we'd sit there for three or four hours. We were role-playing. We were using our imaginations. We were given these difficult tasks, and we had to think on our feet. So there was sort of planning and problem-solving. And when you actually look at it, I'm somehow Monopoly was okay. And what we call Cluedo, I think you just call Clue, was okay. And these sort of standard boring board games were fine. But what D&D did was it, it brought the fantasy into a real situation. And we became those little figures and we played the roles of those characters. So there was acting, there was performance, there was presentation. And of course, with acting and performance comes confidence. And I genuinely think that all those 12, 13, 14-year-old kids have acquired a certain skill set that what you would call the jocks might not have got. They get some other skill sets. Absolutely. I'm not sort of putting them down. But those little dweebs, those little nerds down in the basement are getting a whole different set of social skills 
and like I said, the trouble the troubleshooting skills and probably became the the programmers and the IT consultants and all that kind of stuff. Right. Uh, so, and I think sort of building on what you were saying, it's the same with this. You can speak to somebody in Australia. You and I would never, ever meet, not no. in many months of Sundays. And this conversation could, should, and would never happen 20 years ago. Right. And so there is that freedom. There is that possibility to reach out and learn more stuff. But again, going now back to the negative, there is also that possibility that humanity becomes this bland, homogenized, same wherever you are in the world. Right. Yeah. That's a scary um, thought. Yeah. I mean, we've already done it in the past with the Native Americans, with the Inuits, with we've absorbed these people or we've conquered them or we've colonized them. This might just be another form of sort of passive colonization that we are all doing ourselves and we all until we find an equilibrium where we all have this bland, probably English, this sort of bland American British English combo where we all watch the same shows, where we all discuss the same topics, where we all watch the same sports. And that there is no variation between culture and between, you know, between uh, societies. And so that potentially is a negative, oh, quite dystopian. Kind of a scary thought, really. I mean, this is where we need to celebrate uniqueness and like, let each other be each other and not sit there and judge everybody just because they're not like us. I think humanity is judgmental, and I think mm-hmm. that's fine. I think with judgment comes comes learning, yeah, because you can have your opinion, you learn about it, and your opinion should be flexible. But what we've hit right now is a black and white society. There is no gray anymore. Yeah, there was, um, going back to Twitter, there was a thread, if, is being called eye candy uh, positive or negative? And many people were saying, it's derogatory to women if that's all they're seen as. Well, why say that's all they're seen as? Again, you and I, you could be eye candy and intelligent and fun and a great cook and really fantastic at kicking me up the ass when I, you know, when I need you to help me get my mojo back together, you know? Right. Um, why is it eye candy only the only one thing that that person can be? And everybody takes these comments as a black or white. And, and it really isn't that simple. We are all gray. Every single one of us is gray. We have no definites, you know, this sort of closed thinking that you can only be one thing or another. Save the Syrian children. Yes, but what about the Ethiopians? You know, what about the Sudan? Yeah, but by saving the Syrian doesn't mean you turn your back on them. Right. It just means I'm bringing this to your attention right now. Tomorrow we'll do the orangutans and the next day we'll do you know the donkeys (laughs) but everybody loves to get on their high horse and be opinionated and it drives me mad right sorry i'm getting on my soapbox now and i apologize (laughs) no that's okay that might have very interesting and one thing i was thinking when you were talking back about the dungeons and dragons yeah so you know your, your mom was saying you need to get out and, and interact. Well, you know what? You were interacting. Oh, you were I interacting was. with people. And yeah. that, and so this is where people get skewed in what they're thinking. You can only interact with people outside. No, that's not true. 
I totally agree. I mean, I wasn't very sporty. I used to do uh, cross-country running, I, you know, some sort of level of athletics, um, but I wasn't a team sports person. And we lived, there was a park behind where we lived. And yeah, my mum was always trying to kick me out of the house and go and play in the park. But you go and play in the park because you're not one of those sporty kids. All that happens is you get beaten up by the bullies right. because you are that overly tall, skinny dweeby kid that plays Dungeons and Dragons you know mm -hmm. and so because of that the sort of large foreheaded knuckle dragging fuckwits would just come along and see you as easy picking and the bullies always pick the easy ones because then they don't get beaten up themselves you know it's a simple right. rule and so I hated going out in that way because it wasn't safe yeah. And I'd get back and all my father would do is hit me some more for being so weak, you know, which is also mm. good. <laughs> yeah, that's not good. But that does get back to the point where we need to accept others. And those kids that were beating up on you weren't accepting differences. So we need to teach this at a young age so it can last and we can celebrate each other's uniqueness instead of drilling it into something else, like even on yeah. Twitter. Yeah. And yeah. even trying to enforce our own uniqueness on others. Yeah. Right, right. You know, what you and I do on the edge of the bed <laughs> is <laughs> a total irrelevance to everybody else because they are also doing that. And if they're not, they're doing something else that we right. might disapprove of, but it's not affecting us. Yes. Yeah. If we go to your neighbor's house and sit on the edge of their bed, they have every right to complain. Right. But... This is, I've never understood this. I, you know, I'm, I'm of an age, I'm 54. So I remember growing up where homosexuality was illegal. Not right. just, oh my God, you know, two gay guys, although with much stronger terms, um, mm -hmm. it was illegal. And just sort of 10, 15 years before that, you would go to prison for being gay. Yeah. And I, even as a child, I didn't understand it. I understood that two men couldn't have babies. And I, as a child, of course, I made the jokes that children make without fully understanding what the jokes are about. But I understood the humor side, if not the sort of sociological side, you know. Yeah. And But I didn't understand how your opinion, not you personally yet, but one's opinion of two very happy gay people was even remotely irrelevant because two loving people is two loving people, <laughs> regardless. Yes. Yes. Yeah. And yes. if we want to get really basic, that's disgusting what these two guys do. Goes home, gives his wife anal. What's the difference? Yeah. Two people love each other. Same physical process. Yeah. Having a blowjob, same physical process. Just you love a woman. He loves a guy. Just Get on with it. Live yeah. your own life. Oh, exactly. Hate it. Hate it so much. I do too. I, I find it very, very hard that people form those kinds of opinions. And you're right. It's just two people loving each other. And if they both want to do oh. what they're doing, let them do it. Yeah. <laughs> Again, I'd be the first to complain if we, we have like a courtyard where I live, if they were doing it in the courtyard. But I'd also yeah. complain if there was a heterosexual couple naked doing it in the courtyard yeah. because it's the act in the location that's wrong, not the act itself. Right. Yeah. But right. I currently live, I mean, you said Europe, I'm actually 
in Armenia, which is <clears throat> not Europe, Europe as such. It's like an ex-Russian state. Oh, okay. And um, yeah, you would not see two guys holding hands here. Oh. And I'll guarantee there are a lot, even now, even in 2021, even with like younger guys, there are a lot of guys getting married, having families and hating every second of their life because no. society is still pushing them that way. Right. And I do think even in more liberated countries, obviously, I'm, you know, I'm from Britain and you're in America, um, definitely more liberated than some of these countries. But even there, and I can understand this, there must be older guys yeah. who are hating on the younger gay guys and their freedoms because they didn't have those freedoms, because they had to get married and they, without trying to sound rude here, they might resent their children, they might resent their wife because they didn't have the freedom to love the person they wanted to love. And that is just terrible. It is. Absolutely terrible. And that can breed Poor resentment. People. For sure. Absolutely. And if anything, it's like um, somebody who gives up smoking. They might even become more anti um, sort of equality and sort of gay freedoms and gay marriage and all the rest of it. They might even become more anti that because of what the persecution they put up with, you know? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. That's amazing. I think bottom line is we just need to let people be people and who they are. Be. I. Look, I, I have no religion. Uh, I respect anybody's right to believe in whatever invented deity they wish to. But from my point of view, I only have one commandment, and that is try not to be a bastard. You will fail, but don't stop trying. Right. That's how I try to live. I do fail. I've hurt people as much as I've been hurt, just as I'm sure you have, just as I'm sure you know people you know have. But that doesn't mean I don't learn from my mistake and just try to be a smidge better tomorrow. And how the hell can I judge people when I know the mistakes I've made in my life? You know? Yeah. We need to give each other some more wiggle room and forgiveness and Absolutely. realize that we, yeah, we all fuck up. Yeah, We all fuck up. Yeah. <laughs> and that doesn't mean that we're all, you know, hippies and we love and peace, man. It doesn't mean that at all. It just means that let's try to be decent human beings instead of arrogant assholes that think we know everything because we spoke to three people on Twitter. Yes, exactly. Yeah. And don't assume you know what someone else is feeling. We're all yeah. unique people. That's right. <laughs> and you and I may have similar experiences, but you would have experienced them differently inside yourself. Right. Because you are a different person. So right. your take on this event will be completely different to my take on exactly the same event because of my emotional makeup and your genetic makeup and your other experiences that you associate it with and mine, et cetera, et cetera. So two people can have exactly the same experience but feel completely different. And this is what I think is interesting too. This particular thing we're talking about is what <laughs> gives each person, each author, each writer, their own voice when they're writing, when they're creating, because you take all of that, all of that, and you put it into your writing, into your stories. And you have a unique voice coming from a unique set of experiences from that particular person. I think you're absolutely right. Of course, you also need the craft. Oh, I'm, yeah. not saying, I'm not saying I have all the craft. 
Uh, I'm sure there are some people reading some of my lines like between their fingers, you know, like hand over their eyes. Um, <laughs> but I know I have a certain level of craft because, like I said, with my script writing, with my screenplays, um, that is how I earn a big chunk of my money, you know. So yeah. I obviously have a, an acceptable level of craft. I don't think I can ever write Gone with the Wind. I don't think I can ever be a Hemingway in the author side. I don't think I could ever write a Star Wars kind of quality level screenplay. Uh, I'm honest enough to know my own limitations, but I certainly have a degree of understanding of the craft. Yes. And, But you're absolutely right. You and I could have the same story and we would write it completely differently because you would take a certain viewpoint. I would see a nuance that you missed. You would have this higher sort of feeling about it that I completely didn't understand <laughs> because I had a lower, more sort of base and probably comedic outlook, you know, and so, that's the beauty. That's the beauty of all creative arts. Yes. Absolutely. Everything, be it sculpture or, you know, or film or, or um, painting. Uh, we all see things through different eyes. And I think we're also in a unique place in history where, People can create things on their own, such as this podcast, such as publishing on Amazon. Never before has this been so easy for people to do. I mean, yes, you have to have a craft. You want it to sound good. You want to, you don't want to look like you have all these errors, but we also can create and disseminate like never before ever in history. I think you're totally right. I mean, you have an advantage of you definitely have this sensual voice and it works well with the type of podcasts that you're presenting. Yeah. Um, but if you use that same voice and read children's bedtime stories, it would be just as beautiful as long as you were, wouldn't be saying, fuck, yeah, the <laughs> rabbit went down the hole. Um <laughs> The words matter, yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there'd be a lot more editing maybe on the children's podcast. <laughs> but because yes. you have that kind of soft timbre to your voice, you have that breathiness, which is both sensual and it is also calming. So there are many things that you could turn to. So we're talking podcast now. This is your craft. You have the voice. You have that ability. Uh, that doesn't mean to say that, oh, someone who talks like that can't do a sexy podcast. Of course right. they can. Right. Of course they can. But um, but we we have these, we're preconditioned to certain sounds being in certain places. And so this kind of sexy voice is better off for this kind of thing. Right. And <laughs> this kind of voice is better off for the plumber who's going to come and, you know, put his head <laughs> under your sink, you know. Right. Um, Totally wrong, totally wrong and unacceptable thought process because we automatically think that that guy is slightly less educated, so he's a plumber, whereas this guy has got a BBC voice, so therefore he's upper class. Totally wrong thinking, yeah. but we are pre preconditioned to put people into boxes before we understand more about them. That's true. And so, yeah, your voice, I certainly have a certain perception of you. It's the first time you and I have spoken. Yeah. And I certainly now see you in a certain way. And I'm almost guaranteed to be 95% wrong <laughs> because I'm going on one thing. And yeah. getting back to social media, everybody just goes on the one thing. Yeah. Yeah. 
It's true. People are whole. We aren't pieces. As you were saying earlier, you're not just eye candy. You're not just a cook. We are whole people. Absolutely. And I can say categorically, under no circumstances could I ever be described as eye candy. (laughs) (laughs) Except maybe by Helen Keller, Ray Charles, possibly Stevie Wonder. Um, they, they, They might possibly... (laughs) <laughs> well, <laughs> sensuality is a feeling as well. So <laughs> we should not be so judgmental, right? As the joke says, I have a good face for radio. <laughs> oh, dear. <laughs> <laughs> so do you have any goals you'd like to share with us that you plan to or hope to achieve? Um, Within... This part of my life, yeah, I would obviously, we'd all like to sell more. We'd all like to become a little bit more well-known. We'd all like people quoting us a few years down the line, you know. Uh, obviously, in with this genre, it's never going to be some big TV movie <laughs> because, because of basically the content. Yeah. But yes, I mean, pretty much that. I'd like to be... Uh, successful without being a household name in this genre. So if I could live a basic life with my uh, erotic writing, I would say I've achieved. Like I said, I have two lives. There is another life outside outside my erotic life, uh, which is a little bit more sensible with the acting and the screenwriting. And that's where I make the majority of my money but sure if i could make a sensible amount and equally important people actually think i'm good because i could sell a million books to a million people but they never buy a second one i consider that a failure yeah because it's easy to sell the first book it's or it's not easy but it's easier to sell the first than the second mm-hmm. so if i can sell the second and the third and the fifth and the tenth I would consider that as well as, let's be honest, the financial aspect. Those two things combined, I would consider myself a success. People are quoting me and saying, hey, guess what? Tom's bringing out a new book. (laughs) Right. Wouldn't that be cool? I'm sure you feel the same. Oh, yeah, definitely. I think that's what most people who create some sort of content would like that to end up. What is the biggest surprise you've had in the last few months? Oh, in the last few months, uh, that's very hard for me to say anything about that because where I am in Armenia, I literally have no close friends. And because of that, I only go out shopping. Uh, I don't socialize. Uh, The last time I socialized was about a month ago. And that was with somebody for coffee that she had been promising for about four months. I've been in this apartment now for nearly three years. Uh, I was having this conversation a couple of weeks ago with somebody online. I have literally, other than like the maintenance man and the delivery guy, I have hand on heart in three years had three people visit this apartment Uh socially. Mm -hmm. You know, I literally know nobody. My, My work means that I work with people and then it's over. And then I work with new people and it's over, you know, the writing and the acting stuff it's not like nine to five job so and you don't see the same people 
Uh, I guess I have one more question for you. Can you name one to three people who have influenced you the most regard to your work and writing? That's the easiest question so far. Oh, nice. <laughs> and coincidentally, it leads back to one of my opening statements about my first book. I uh, have a friend, uh, Emmanuel, Emmanuel de Maupassant, that is her name, and She's an erotic author. She's a very successful erotic author, but she didn't used to be. And about six years ago, maybe seven now, uh, I knew her on a, on a different level. She did some copywriting work and she was busy and she threw some of it my way and we got to know each other. And we were both writing stuff and she said, hey, let's have a little competition. Let's write a genre that we've never written before. So we discussed what genres we've never written before. And the one that we both hit on was erotica. And so, well, we've both never done that. Let's, let's both write something. Let's give ourselves a month and we'll both write some erotica. And we'll just have a laugh and see um, what happens. And Emmanuel wrote, uh, she didn't finish it in that time, but she pretty much finished it in that time. Um, it's like a 50,000 word novel called The Gentleman's Club. It's like Victorian noir. Okay. And she gave it to me and I was too embarrassed to show her mine <laughs> because mm -hmm. I'd written I'd written about 8,000 words and what I thought was going to be a short story about this girl Kat who collects erotica but some people want to steal her books because there's a spy thing. It was just growing and growing. And it's like, I don't want to write a bloody novel. I just don't want to write a novel. Um, and so I kind of quit. And I found the sex scenes hard to write. So I, I wrote all the stuff up to the sex scene. And then I just wrote sex scene here. And then I carried on writing. I was really struggling with those sex scenes. Um, there was a, there's like a comedy masturbation in the shower at the beginning, which I, I was okay with. But her first proper sex with her friends with benefits and guy who lives downstairs, um, I really struggled with it. And I thought, you know, I can't do this. I literally cannot do this. So I quit. She wrote hers. She went on. And you can find her now. She's got 30, 40 books in about eight different languages. Well, four or oh. five languages, maybe. Um, she is quoted. She is, um, you know, people are hunting her down for interviews and stuff. And about three years ago, she said, I'm at the point now where this is now my job. I make a full-time living from this. So she did that in about four or five years, four years maybe. Nice. And she is my inspiration because when I did finally send her my unfinished eight to 10,000 words, she said, ah, I see your problem. Your problem is that you're spending too much time editing and making it perfect before you move on. Ah. And I said, oh, actually, this is just my first draft. <laughs> and she looked. And this is why I hate all these people. You know, your first draft is always shit. Because my first drafts are kind of 80% there. Mm. Uh, I don't want to brag, but I do good first drafts. Sure. And she said, well, she believed that that was me just working on it, working on it, working on it, making it as good as possible. And I said, no, apart from going back and changing a couple of tiny little things or noticing a typo, you know, as I read through it, um, that is pretty much just written once. And so she, and she said to me, 
you, then you can do this. It just takes you longer or you need to go a different way to the way I'm going. Maybe hmm. you don't, you're not writing romance. Maybe you're writing something else. Um, you need to find your path because we both wanted to write this romantic erotica. That was the, you know, the agreement. And so I didn't, I, I, I abandoned Kat, my character for, for about four years. And then I just thought, no, I've got to finish this just for myself. And I wrote it. And then off the back of that, during lockdown last year, I wrote seven other books, um, one novel and six shorts. And yeah, I've definitely, my craft has got better. And I've, I've found, if not my niche, I found more my style now, you know, the, the, the sort of the comedy, uh, the hardcore comedy, if you like. Uh, sure. And so she, absolutely, I'm, I'm here now talking to you purely because she kicked me up the ass and said, you can do this, you can do this. That's so true. And I've had similar experiences with other writers. And I think that's, that's huge. And it's great that we can connect and interact with each other because something like that can grow or it can kick us a certain way that leads to success or leads to success, success beyond that. That's just really cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I owe her a lot. She gave me so much motivation. Really did. That's very cool. <laughs> Loving the chat. I'm loving the directions it's going. Um, there's a little bit of me really liking your voice. <laughs> I can't deny it. Um, I, I'm not one-handed podcasting right now, so that's okay. But um... uh, Let's see. We've already talked about advice for other writers, which you just touched on now. We talked about. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, I got one. What? Well, you kind of did talk about that. What new things you are working on? Yeah. Um, do you remember I said I I'm a panster and I came up with a title? Mm-hmm. Okay. <laughs> the title, this is what I'm working on now. It's, it's been sidelined. It's been mothballed a little bit because I've got some acting and script writing stuff to do. But I was sleeping and I had this kind of just weird flashes of an idea. And I woke up uh in the morning, it wasn't one of these three o'clock things. I must write it down on a notebook. I'm really not that guy. Yeah. Um, I woke up the normal way with two cats treading on my face saying, feed us, <laughs> feed us, feed us. <laughs> and as I was feeding them, I, I remembered, oh, I had a title for a book. And so I came up with a character called Candice Kane. Candy to her friends, yeah, Candy Kane. She's a lieutenant, so it's two-stripe cane, yeah, candy cane with two stripes. So it's like all this kind of bad pun. So, yeah, so I've come up with a title. It's a sci-fi, comedy sci-fi sex romp, and it is called Candy's Cane and the Sex Bots of Sycorax. Sycorax is one of the moons in our solar system. I think it's Uranus. It's Mm. one of the moons of Uranus. And so the idea is that every book will be set on one of the moons, um, so there's a whole kind of bunch of ideas for different uh, stories. But this one, yeah, the sex bots, the sex bots of Sycorax. Uh, basically, some three-star generals have gone missing on the uh, sex moon, and she's sent to try and retrieve them. And, of course, there will be um, lots of interaction with the sex bots as well as other humanoids, et cetera, et cetera. Ah, very interesting. So, yeah, literally, I just came up with this crazy name. 
<laughs> I love how the cats reminded you of that. <laughs> <laughs> Our brains work in crazy ways, don't yeah. they? <laughs> yeah. So from that, um, the next thing I had to do was kind of think, how do I see the book cover? Because maybe I do this the wrong way around, but if I can understand not the actual pictures, but the sort of the feel of the book cover. So in my head, it was like, I'm not going to say, do you remember? Because you and I are not that old. But do you remember the existence of those kind of pulp um, magazines that had short stories in them? Astounding tales and mysteries of Earth and those kind of 30s things. Um, in fact, some of the big writers like Asimov and stuff started out writing short stories in these kind of publications. So I wanted that kind of old 30s um, space opera kind of feel to it, um, which is why they've all got these kind of dynamic names. I, I've got the names of the first six books, even though I have no idea what I'm, they're going to be about. That's right. how crazy I am. Candy's Kane and the Escorts of Europa. Candy's Kane and the Phobos Flasher. Candy's Kane <laughs> and the Mimas Moonshot. Um, and it just goes on and on. So, but that title already starts telling me I know what this story is going to be about. It's kind of like you have an outline, um, all your different book titles, and thinking of the image of your cover. To me, the, the thought that occurred to me was if you have an idea of what you want the cover to look like, that's almost a visual outline for you to write from. And that's a very interesting perspective to write from. I, I think that's very fascinating. Yeah, I, th I, th I think I don't necessarily agree that I'm fascinating, but um, <laughs> that's um, definitely that sort of visual element. Uh, also, it helps me understand what style I want to write. I mean, mm -hmm. you know, modern Monday science fiction would be clinical and very kind of Apple Mac sort of feel to it. Whereas the old space opera stuff, it was all swashbuckling in space, you know, uh -huh. uh, everything was grandiose and big. And so when I envisage this kind of sort of Buck Rogers sort of feel um, where the robots would be clunky, you know, with lots of wire, twisty wires hanging out. And yeah. there'd be those electric arc things that go in the background, you know. <laughs> uh -huh. um, once I realized that that's the kind of feel, it made it easier to know how I would write her first story sure. because she would be written in that style. So, yeah, once I'd envisaged the cover, um, it shouted out to me, you're going to have to write it like this. Uh, so, yeah, so that visual really did help. Otherwise, it could have been some cold, clinical, everything is white, sort of Star Trek-y thing, you know? Yeah. I think it's fascinating to talk to other writers and see how they begin and how they continue on their process of writing something. I think it's so interesting. Either, of course, there's opinions about how to do it right and how to do, you know, this is wrong and this is right. But everyone has like a little bit of a different take. And I just, I think it's very fascinating as a, as a writer and author myself, just to see what other people do and learn about that. I just, I guess so I'm not that yeah. judgmental where I'm going to say, no, nah, that's a stupid way. That doesn't work. Um, I'm more open and I just think it's very fascinating. Yeah. I'm with you on the process thing. Um, but there is one right way to do it. And the one right way is your way. Yeah. Yeah. You know, people go, you go on Twitter and people are saying, 
oh, my chapter is 4,000 words. Is that too long? And the good people answer, does it feel right? Yeah. <laughs> if it feels right to you, go with it. Other people say, well, no, they should be between 5,000 and 6,217 <laughs> words. And I just want to say, go fuck yourself. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, if it works for you. I've written books where a chapter has been like two words. Yeah. Because there's like this big emphasis on something and then you move on. And you're like, whoa, okay. And in fact, it's stronger than writing six paragraphs about the same thing. And other times there are books with no chapters. It's just one long, um, you know, load of prose. So if it feels right, if you're comfortable, it's your book. I cannot tell you how to write your book. You cannot tell me how to write mine. Um, the people would post it notes all around their house it would crucify me, but you know what? It's right for them. And I right. have no right to laugh and point. Um, so yeah, there is only one correct way and that is your way. Yeah. I like that as advice for other writers, authors. That's so true. Everybody has their own voice. Everybody has their own experiences, our own imaginations. The thing that drives me crazy in erotica, which mm -hmm. this will be a question. It'll end up in a question. People will say, but have you done that? Okay, so does that mean that um, Stephen <laughs> King has been a mass murderer and a freak show? Um, no, it's called imagination. Uh -huh. I totally love you. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. Write what you know. So, yeah, there can be no serial killer books. There can be no, um, cannot yeah. have imagination. There can be no Harry Potter. There can be no... Sherlock Holmes, there can be yes. what you know. What would Jules Verne have done if he only yes. wrote what he knew? And he invented the electric doorbell. Yeah. He actually, if you look at the writing, you know, and so many science fiction writers have created these ideas that other people then have turned into reality. There yeah. are many things on Star Trek which have given people just that flash of inspiration to actually say, I wonder if we can do that. Um, yeah. even now down to the point of teleportation. I mean, they use teleportation. Maybe I'm getting all geeky now and I apologize, but <laughs> no, I love they, it. <laughs> um, they invented, tele invented it. they used teleportation on Star Trek because it was financially cheaper than landing the ship on every planet every single time. So we'll teleport down. It's cheaper than the, you know, than the whole sort of process of the models and the, you know, the miniatures and the effects. Huh. Um, so, yeah, that was one of the core reasons for them deciding on teleportation. But, of course, Star Trek is the teleportation show, let's be honest. So, you know, it's yeah. been around, but when you think of, you know, Beam Me Up Scotty is now, you know, we use it all the time. It's in part of our culture now. Um, a few years ago, I think it was a lab in Australia. They, and I'm going to simplify this no end, so any physicist out there are going to be laughing at me. But they basically <laughs> signed their name on an electron, okay? So they identified an electron somehow, and they dropped it in a laser beam. They had a parallel laser beam, and they did something clever, and that exact self-same electron appeared in the second laser beam. So oh. somehow it did transport from one laser beam to another. They put a marker on it, so they knew it was the same one. So at that sort of atomic level, it has been done. Wow. And that only means that in a few centuries, 
we will be we won't be doing a podcast anymore i'll be teleporting and sitting in your living room we'll be having you know sitting out on your deck in our rocking chairs doing the interview that way you know and then i'll teleport back but you will live in ah, the maldives but work in los angeles you know fascinating yeah wouldn't it be great we're just a few i mean i love the technology that we've had i mean i you know i grew up seeing the first vhs seeing the first mobile phone sorry cell phone for your listeners (laughs) Uh, (laughs) um seeing all this amazing technology i mean what i'm holding in my hand right now is a phone and um there is more technology in this phone and it's not even a good phone than took man to the moon and that's like 50 years you know yeah and i love where we are and i love what we've achieved but where the hell are we going to be in 50 years time you and i will be gone probably but where the hell will we be in another 50 years oh yeah and i'm kind of i don't care about dying it's an irrelevance to me but i would i'm sad that i will miss that yes the next explosion of tech you know Oh, yeah. I mean, think about that. We Phones are basically a computer. We're holding a computer in our hands. Yeah, yeah. It used to take up a whole damn room. That's right. And <laughs> when you and I were kids, you might have got this Radio Shack, like, 8K thing. I might have got a Tandy, you know, 16K thing because I spent more. And we could play chess on a 16K computer. Yeah. Um, which by then was only half the size of your desk. Uh, and now, yeah, we are holding, you know, I mean, I've got a big screen on mine, but we can hold things <laughs> and pardon for the innuendo, but I, you know, I can have a six inch thing in my hand, <laughs> which is vastly superior to something my father used to have. You know? <laughs> oh, <yeah. laughs> that is a fantastic statement. I love the innuendo. It's hilarious. <laughs> I love a good so, bit of innuendo. Yeah. <laughs> oh, always. Oh, it's just so funny. It's so true, though. I mean, think of how far we've come and what's going to happen even in the next like 50, 100 years. It's going to be yeah. mind-blowing. Yeah, yeah. For sure. For sure. I mean, you and I will see drone deliveries. Yeah. I mean, they happen to some degree, but it's more kind of military or medical and stuff. But you and I will see drone deliveries. And what I don't want to be is that 80-year-old guy who just doesn't get the tech. I know, right? I'm scared of that. You know, <laughs> I'm already a little bit behind with these big cutting edge PCs that people are having now, the, the desktop ones, not the laptops, you know, and yeah, now yeah. we're getting into quantum computing and, and I'm, I'm certainly not keeping up with that side of things. Right. Um, but I don't want to be the guy that phones his great granddaughter and says, you know, how do I turn the hologram chef on? You know, I just <laughs> I don't know, want to right? be that person. Yeah, but you don't have to be. You can work at it and keep that going. And some people do, and some people don't. <laughs> True story. Um, when remote controls were coming out, uh, which now sounds like a just a funny statement in itself. <laughs> yeah, I know. Um, Her Majesty the Queen Mother, uh, she was brought a new television and a remote control. And the, the servant said, and look, ma'am, this, um, this turns it on and off. This changes between any of the three channels, <laughs> because we had three channels back then. And this is the sound up, and this is the sound down. And the queen mum, I loved her so much. The queen mum, she said, that's amazing. But, you know, I still think it's probably easier if I just ring for somebody. <laughs> 
<laughs> so there he is. <laughs> that is just so cool. That is, and, and imagine how big that remote was. It was probably like a oh, giant yeah. bolt, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It would have been like, like a a much fatter. Um, I mean, I've got like a six inch um, screen here, but a, a fatter cell phone is what it would have been like. Just yeah. like a small book, really. They were enormous. Uh, I remember having the ones on the cable. Do you remember that? The remote that actually threaded out from the television. I don't remember seeing on one a before. string. Yeah. But, yeah. Maybe we didn't have them in the US. I don't know. Maybe. Maybe. Yeah. <laughs> say, but it's funny. It's funny to look at that and look how much things have changed. It's mm -hmm. just Quite fascinating, yeah. really. Even, even recently, my mum my died a year and a half ago now. But Oh, I'm sorry. Even to the end. I mean, I'm actually, look, it's terrible, but I'm a little happy that she died just before COVID came along. Uh -huh. um, and for a lot of kind of personal issues, I'm glad she wasn't trapped in that house with that man during mm -hmm. any kind of lockdown. So in that respect, I'm glad she went early. But, um, but even to the end. I, I kept on saying, you know, she was in Spain. I was uh, here in Armenia. Mum, please get um, get the internet. Then we can Skype each other. I can send you photos. We can video. No, 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 I can't. Well, why not? Well, first of all, your father will just watch porn. Yeah, okay, that's probably true. Um, yeah. Also, I hear you can get a virus. And, and at my age, who knows what would oh. happen to me? Oh. It's like, oh, mum, I love you so much, but you're oh. really stupid. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah, like she was joke. scared. Of, yeah, no, but she was, you know, she was being sincere. She wow. did not want to get a virus off the computer because of her age. <laughs> yeah. Bless oh, her. Wow. That is just so funny. I mean, it was funny and not funny at the same time. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. But <laughs> I, I don't want like you and I to be those people, you know? Yes, sitting in our not. little chairs with no teeth, you know. Oh yeah, oh yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I remember my grandma. She always would screw up her remotes, and she'd screw up her TVs, and we'd have to come and fix it for her. We'd come to visit, and she'd be like, oh, "I screwed it up again," because she had two remotes for whatever reason. I don't even know why. Oh, okay. And the funniest thing to me was, <laughs> we always used to make fun of her. She could never say the word remote. It was a rotor. A rotor. A rotor. Okay. She could never get it through her head that it was called a remote. I feel, I screwed up my rotor again. It was <laughs> oh, that is so cute, though. It that really is was so beautiful. Cute. Yeah, I know. It's just a little yeah. funny anecdote, and it's just no. I love it. <laughs> oh, that is so nice. Yeah, I'm all hooked up here. So I, I I've gone down the Google route, not the Alexa route. So mm, um, I can tell google to do x y and z in any of the rooms um i've got smart lights so she can turn the lights on and off i've got smart sockets so she can turn the fan on in my bedroom yeah. i've got phrases so if i say a certain phrase uh -huh. all the lights go off in one part of the apartment the bedroom lights and the fan come on in another the volume on the um on the google homes and minis go down to like 40 percent because it's late at night um yeah i'm a little bit of a nerd like that well, think about that. All of that was at one point written in a story in science fiction, and now totally. it's real. It's real. I I remember. Have you seen Blade Runner? Yes. I barely right. remember it, but I did see it, yeah. Okay. Well, when Deckard is, he's got a photo, and he puts the photo into a scanner, and he's saying, uh, zoom in on D4, and it zooms in. Go left. Go left. No, stop. Uh, just zoom in in the top corner, there. and he's just telling the computer what to do, yeah. and it's doing it, and hello. Here we are. Yeah. 
uh, it was, was it Minority Report, where they were zooming in and zooming out on screens. And that didn't oh, exist. Yeah, right, right. And then somebody said, I wonder if there's a way to do that. And now anything without a touch screen is archaic. Right. And right. that's a handful of years. Right. Yeah. You this know? is why we all need to keep writing and creating, because who knows what our brains will think of that will trigger something. Well, absolutely. I mean, if we can have a love sense that the boyfriend or the girlfriend can control from their um, from their smartphone, <laughs> then right. and, and you're into your sex toys, so oh, you yeah. should be writing... <laughs> Well, some of them are into you, but um, you should. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> but yeah, you should be inventing sort of, actually, that's a good premise for a story, isn't it? Like the sex yes. toy inventor, uh-huh. yeah, either a company or some mad, some mad professor down in the basement who never actually realizes their value. <laughs> he just invents them. Right. You know? That is and interesting. Meanwhile, his young wife is upstairs having lots of fun with them and, and other people you know right right yeah oh my gosh <laughs> it's a like pretty it's, good premise it really is a sex toy is a good idea for a story i have so many sex toy companies approach me all the time hey oh, you want to wow. try our oh my gosh i get well and now i have like over 30 sex toys no kidding so we need to think of like an <laughs> a sexy name like a, an erotic name a, a naughty name for influencer yeah, right, right, um, exactly. because, you know, sex toy influencer. No, we need some kind of, you know, <laughs> innuendo in there because there is in. Yes. Um, so, yeah, we need to find another name for sex toy influencer that you could have. So you are at that level where XYZ company is saying, hey, we just bought out this new model and you do a review. Yeah, I cannot even keep up wow. with them. I have, I think I Respect. have like three three or four in my DMs right now that are begging me to buy it and review it. And I mm-hmm. cannot even keep up. I'm like, okay, okay, yes, I'm going to do this. Uh, seriously. <laughs> there are only so many orgasms a girl can have in a day, aren't there? Yeah. Actually, no. No, <laughs> that's not. not true. <laughs> <laughs> I realized as I was saying that how wrong I was. Yes, well, that but, is one yeah. benefit to being a woman. We can have more. Yeah, orgasms. that's true. I mean, yeah, the best we could do. I'll, I'll be honest, and we're getting graphic. I mean, your first question was pretty graphic. So uh, know, lock, right? lockdown mm-hmm. was was definitely sort of marathon masturbation time as well, for yes. obviously for most of the world. Um, oh, yeah. But uh, I, I beat a record. I came eight times in one day. Oh. I mean, the eighth time was basically just a slight convulsion uh, <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> and nothing more. And it was a case of I'm going to do it no matter what happens. But um, right nothing pleasurable at all about it but uh but yeah you're right guys realistically guys twice to three times in a day with any kind of substantial quantity you know right Um, after that it is just it is it's just like a kind of your loins are constricted and it's almost unpleasant to be honest ah gotcha um whereas i've been lucky enough um to be with some very orgasmic women who yeah it's just mind-blowing and such a turn-on. One that I'm helping her get to that place um, because she's relaxed and trusting enough, you know, that that's contributing also. Yes. Uh, and two, I just love it. It's just nice, you know, mm-hmm. to to be with a woman who is just enjoying her sex that much. Yeah, and I, I'm such a big proponent for sex toys. For, for Okay, for one thing, there are many women out there that, 
number one, may have never had an orgasm in their life. Number Mm -hmm. two, they aren't enjoying sex. There's something wrong there. And sex toys can teach them about their body. Every woman's body is different. I'm sure every man's body is different too. But that's what makes me sad when I hear these stories of women that are not having sex, like don't like sex, then there's something that's happening or not happening that's wrong. Yeah. Yeah. Or has happened in the past. Yeah. You know, there may be some trauma there, which is a different yes. thing. That's and a whole different thing. But yeah. 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 But taking that out of the equation, um, yeah, they've had a couple of bad experiences and it's like, there's no point. There's just no yeah. value to that time. Right. Which, yeah, that's terrible. That's terribly they, sad. They've given up. They've given up. And sex toys could teach them or bring that back for them. Perhaps they don't want a partner right now. Okay. So why don't you learn about your body? Take this sex yeah. toy and do it yourself. Yeah. See what you can learn about your yeah. body. Maybe eventually you'll be with a partner. But so I get really sad when I hear women like just like they're like taboo. No, 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 no sex toys. No, 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 no. Okay. So it's a fascinating fact for me that I, I read um, multiple stories on. There are 8,000 nerve endings that go to the clitoris. There are 4,000 that go to the penis. Okay. Mm. For women are saying they don't like sex. That is something wrong because you've got 8,000 nerve endings there that are going to give you pleasure and you are not doing it. Yeah. Something's wrong. Yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> and probably what's something the something that is wrong in many of the cases is the guy on the end of that penis. Right. Um, Look, I'm not putting myself above anybody here. I'm just saying as I see it, but most guys, it is just a race to the finish and she is nothing more than a sex toy. Right. She is a fleshlight. She is just a hole that is um, a replacement for his hand. Yeah. And yeah, okay, look, there we go. I'm squeezing your boobs. God, she wants to kiss as well. Okay, yeah, bit of kissing, bit of boobage, and now open them up. Let me do my thing. Um, and some of that is because of youth and inexperience. Yeah. Yes. But any guy should realize that the destination is just the destination. And sometimes you don't even need to reach that destination to have had an amazing trip. Yeah. And the voyage, I mean, it's not like we're running 100 meters here and you have to get to the end as fast as possible. Right. The voyage is usually, for a guy, should be bigger than the destination. Right. You know? And I'm lucky in as much as I really get a lot of enjoyment out of giving and going down on a woman. And basically, I could... You know, bring me a sandwich occasionally. I can be there all day. Um, (laughs) (laughs) uh, I just really enjoy it. And again, we're getting graphic and we're getting detailed, but so be it. (laughs) I don't necessarily (laughs) stay hard while I'm doing it because my focus is all on her. Sure, Sure. And I'm getting of an age where sometimes if I've been hard for a while and it goes down, it may not come back. Yeah. And you know what? That's fine. Right. You know, that, that doesn't mean I'm impotent because, you know, I, I can do everything I need to. And even if I was impotent, that's also fine because yeah. my fingers work, my tongue works. And right. if we have to, we'll go and get a little blue pill. There's no shame in that. And at some point in my life, maybe I'll need that. Right. But my tongue isn't impotent. Right. You know, my fingers, uh, the least I could do is hug you and nuzzle your neck. Right. And the maximum I can do is play with your g-spot and lick your clitoris and you know 
right. rim your ass or whatever it is that you particularly enjoy. Right. Um, but what, because I'm impotent or because I'm tired, she gets nothing because it's all about me. Right. That's just assholeness. I hate people like that. Yes. No, because if you give, as a woman or a man, if you give, not only do you get back more, and so you're not, I'm not condoning giving for selfish reasons, but you learn that the giving is equally as pleasurable as the receiving. You know, I love a good blowjob. Of course I do. But given the choice, I would, probably prefer to be down on you doing that stuff and you know my turn can come tomorrow don't worry about it you know right because there is also a slight control thing in that because if i'm making you squirm and i'm making you wet and i'm making you come and i'm there is a power thing there but there is also a power thing there for the woman controlling his ejaculation and all the rest of it so that's mutual so if you have mutual power then there is no control yeah. You know, because it's right. an agreed mutuality. I'm not into BDSM. I'm not into that kind of stuff. Right. Um, I think most average people are a little bit dom, a little bit sub, you know. Right. Um, I'm probably more dom than sub, but you push me and jump on top and uh, 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 I'm fine with that also. Right. Um, but what two people need is what they both want together. Yes. And... So, yes, you know, if you want to be tied up and have your nipples pierced with pins and stuff, which is way too far for me, then you know what? Go for it. You know, fill your boots, as we would say, Yeah. um, because that's what you enjoy. You know, you want hot wax all over you, go for it. Right. Um, You know, my, considering some of the stuff I write, uh, I wouldn't say I'm vanilla because, again, my vanilla is your kinky. Right. You know? Um, It's all relative. Yeah, you know, I'm I'm happy with anal. I'm happy with toys. Um, I'm fine with those things. I'm not into threesomes. I've never done one. I have no interest, which for a guy is kind of weird. Right. Um, but no, because, again, it's getting back to that earlier conversation of I'm emotionally involved with this person. Yes. So it's a little old-fashioned, and hit, please hear the whole sentence before you judge me, but she belongs to me. Because I also belong to her. It's, there's a mutual ownership and a partnership there, um, not a sub on a lead being humiliated, walking around in public and stuff like that. Right. I, I, believe, I don't believe in equality between the sexes because I think that's patronizing because I think in nearly everything except strength, women are in fact superior. Yeah. So why would women want equality? Right. We have the strength. That's all we have. You have emotional superiority. Um, you certainly, you have um, pain thresholds that are higher. You have yeah. more cones in your eyes, so you see more colors than us. Yeah. We beat you on strength, and a little bit we beat you on hand-eye coordination. Sure. And the only reason we have a patriarchy is because we are stupid idiots, and we use our muscles to, inverted commas, keep you in place. Yeah, because if you guys run around the world, um, it would be a lot cleaner. It would a few less wars, and it would be a, a slightly more harmonious place. And if men had babies, um, 
we'd probably only have a population of about four billion because there's no way we'd do that twice, you know. <laughs> right. I'm not pushing a bowling ball out of my ass, you know. <laughs> Very um, interesting thought, yes. That's why I don't believe in equality. Obviously, there should be parity of pay and parity of privilege and all the rest of it. And that's yeah. the equality that you guys and yeah. we should also be fighting for. Right. But I don't believe in true equality because I honestly, I'm not being patronizing here. I'm not intending to be patronizing here. I honestly believe that other than physical strength, women are superior. Yeah. I think we're just so different that there's no way we could ever be fully equal. We're just too different. Like you said, we have different uh, strengths and different struggles, different failures, but together it can be good. Absolutely. But remember that Men are arrogant enough to think that they pick the woman almost without exception. Mm -hmm. The woman picks the man because she will have 20 puppies at her door. And she literally, "Mm, I'll have that one. And he goes away thinking, yes, I got her. No, Mm -hmm. unless he's, you know, one of these square jawed ass chinned hunks, <laughs> which, okay, not all girls are into that. But if he's right. one of those, you know, if he is a George Clooney, if he is a Johnny Depp, if he is a Robert Downey Jr., okay, yeah, yeah they can click their fingers and, you know, 20 girls will drop at their feet. But right. average people, the woman makes the final decision on who she dates. The man doesn't. But we yeah. go around convincing ourselves that we're the ones in charge. It is pathetic. It's really pathetic. Yeah. I can understand that perspective, really. Yeah. Also, we need women. You guys, uh, you females, <laughs> you need one man, yeah, can service right. 200 women. If you took it down to its basics, you don't right. need men. Right. We do need women. Right. That's so, <laughs> you know, it is kind of 50-50, you know, men and women in the world. Um, but in reality, you could probably have 10 times more women than men. If there wasn't the whole, you know, sort of um, monogamy thing, and I am a monogamous, a serial monogamous person, um, sure. that's just just me, you know. Right, right. So I would struggle with that concept, but in reality, the correct concept is a group of women, you know, almost like Amazon, you know, women situation. A group of women, one little tribe, if you want to call it that, only mm-hmm. needs one or two guys. Right. Men are superfluous in this world. We yeah. really are. Right. I've actually heard people talk about that, that years and years and years ago, w- women were in charge mm. before modern times and things were more like you say. Yeah. We worshipped the priestess and it was the crazy man in the cave that was preaching stuff that we didn't want to hear. Yeah. It's mother nature. It's not father nature. It's mother right. nature because... Okay, the birth and the renewal and all the rest of it. So I understand the association. But mm-hmm. yeah, we revered and we put women higher than us. And then some idiot flexed his muscles and went, hang on a minute. Right. I'm going to be in charge and I'm going to fuck up the whole world. Right. <laughs> and we did. And we did it very successfully. Yeah, yeah. Very yeah. interesting theory and ideas and a topic that could go on and on in discussion. Oh, for sure. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you. And I hope you have a good day. This thank has you been really too. fun. Well, I've already had a good day because of this. Thank you so much <laughs> for your time. Yes, thank really you. Really appreciate it.
you look after yourself and it's early morning for you isn't it so you have a great day i'll have a great evening sounds good (laughs) all right bye-bye take care sweetie thanks for your time bye yep bye-bye Ready for some spring cleaning of your beard and groin hairs? Try out Manscaped products where you can get 20% off with my new code RUIN, R-U-A-N, to get 20% off and free shipping. In order to get the discount, use the promo code RUIN, R-U-A-N, to do that spring cleaning to get yourself ready for sexy times. Heat up your spring with a new shave, a new trim. Perhaps try going there. Get more skin smacks in the bedroom, if you know what I mean.